Martin. It is uh, so good to be with you all. Merry Christmas. I, uh, I definitely, nothing gets me more excited about Christmas than coming together as a church family and singing some of those Christmas carols and worshiping the Lord. And Mike, I, I messed up Noel, as my kids will tell you, like around verse three. And I like couldn't stop laughing at myself. So my, and my, my kids caught me there. I was like, it's been a long time since I went verse three into Noel. So uh, uh, but it's really good to be with you here today. And um, I also love this time of year because I get to wear my red Christmas sweater. And my wife knows it's Christmas time when I wear this on a Sunday. So, um, yeah, we're just excited about what God is doing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I wasn't sure if you were tapping my shoulder and saying I used up my time already. But, uh, no, uh, thank you, Doyle. Um, We are just so excited to be here. Not only excited, but blessed. Blessed to get to know you, to uh, just We've been so warmly welcomed by the Crossroads family. We are excited for what God is going to do next uh, through uh, building on. You know, that's what we really see. We were just kind of talking about it a few moments ago. But what we see God doing in this time is God is building on what he has been doing here through Crossroads Church for the years, previous years, through all of you. And we are going to uh, build on that godly heritage that you all have started and been part of. And we are going to see what God has in store for us next. And so we just all feel really blessed to be part of that. And uh, just as we just said, the, the 10th will be our last Crossroads Church service. Um, and then just to kind of remind you of that schedule, uh, we are planning on having our first Sunday morning meeting as Centerpoint Church Stony Brook on uh, Palm Sunday, which is March 28th, uh, which will be a lot of fun. Uh, but before we get to that point, we are going to have a launch team, and uh, the launch team is going to be made up of people like you, <laughs> uh, Crossroads people, as well as Centerpoint Church people. There are a number of Centerpoint Church people that live around here, live in Stony Brook or Setauket, Port Jefferson, um, Center Reach, all over, uh, who are excited to be part of the campus. And so we are going to spend uh, a few weeks trying to bring everyone together to get to know one another, to talk about what it means to be a Centerpoint campus, to plan for the future, to uh, just kind of pray about the future, pray for our community, pray for what's next. Uh, And so on Sunday nights, starting January 10th, we are going to have those launch team meetings. And so I just want to officially say on on behalf of Centerpoint Church and myself, I want to invite you to be part of that launch team um, and join us on Sunday nights. Hopefully, while we're not meeting on Sunday mornings, you know, we invite you to either attend another Centerpoint campus uh, or you can join us online. Centerpoint has a wonderful online service, full video online with the worship team, new every week, and the sermon for the week. Uh, and it, if you attend uh, at, at, at certain point, I didn't, sorry, I didn't realize this was going to be a commercial for the online service, but let me just wrap this part up. Um, if you attend online at 9, 10.30 or noon or 7 p.m., uh, you will be joined with people from all over uh, and Pastor Brett who leads the online service. So uh, there's a lot of options for your Sunday mornings from January through Palm Sunday. Uh, but again, I would just really love uh, for you to join us for that launch team, be part of our Sunday night meetings. We'll meet here at Sundays at 7. Um, and it's going to be a great time of talking about what's next. Uh, so if you have more questions, uh, please let me know about it. Um, you can always reach out to me. Um, you, can my, you can email me at scott at cpchurch.com 
or get my phone number from me or, or whatever. Find me on Facebook. There's a lot of ways. Uh, or when I live there next door, you can just come and throw a snowball at my door and, uh, and we'll come out. So, again, mainly I just want you to know we feel really blessed to be here, blessed to be part of what God is doing. And we are, we are real excited about the future. I, I hope you know that this is really a continuation of what God is doing. In some ways, this is only the very beginnings of what God is doing. I believe through this, these people, through all of us, and through this facility. Uh, so anyway, I could go on and on with that, but that's for Sunday nights. Let's turn to the word of the God, the word of the Lord. Uh, we are finishing up this series, Regift. We're talking about worship today. And I was thinking about how to, how to talk about regifting worship in the Christmas season. Uh, I thought of the three wise men. That's who I want to spend some time looking at this morning with you, are the three wise men. We sing about them in, in that Noel song. And my guess is that a lot of you in your home right now, you have a nativity scene set up. And, and if you have a nativity scene set up, uh, you've got baby Jesus, you've got Mary and Joseph, you have some shepherds, you have maybe a donkey, some sheep, and you probably have three wise men who are there with gifts in hand. Unless you're like us at our house where at some point one of our kids lost one of our wise men, and so we are down to two wise men. Uh, but the Bible never says how many there were, so it's okay. It's, uh, it's not, a, not, a bit, not a problem. If you have one wise man, two wise men, there could have been 24 wise men. Who knows? Uh, but I, I remember we had a set uh, where one of our kids misplaced a wise At least I'm gonna, maybe it was me, but I'm going to blame one of my kids uh, for, for misplacing the wise men. But I want to talk about the three wise men. I think they're one of the most interesting aspects of the Christmas story because they were some of the first people to begin to really understand who Jesus is. And they were some of the first people to really understand the meaning of the coming of Jesus and to interpret the signs of his coming. And as we're going to see today, they are an unlikely group of people to be there for the Christmas story. So um, we are going to look at Matthew chapter 2. I'm so thankful that we read Luke chapter 2, so I want you to keep Luke 2 in your minds. Now we're going to look at one of the other accounts of the first Christmas through the eyes of Matthew, and he's going to introduce us to these characters. So here's what we read. I'm going to read, I'm, I'm going to focus just on the sections that deal with the wise men, so I'm going to skip a few verses in the middle. I'll summarize them for you, but here's what the word of the Lord says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So, so the wise men show up, they go to Jerusalem, they go to King Herod, and they say, We have come to worship the King of the Jews. And Herod thought he was the king of the Jews. So when he hears this message, he is thrown off. He is, he is uh, not sure what to do, not sure what to, how, how to respond to these guys. So he goes to his, his priests, his teachers of the law, and they tell him that the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. And so Herod tells the, the wise men, go to Bethlehem, you'll find him, and let him know when you find him. And we know that Herod has his own uh, plot that he wants to go after to get rid of Jesus, and we don't have time for that today. Um, but as we pick up the story in verse 9, here's what we read. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, 
and myrrh. Okay, so that's the story of the wise men. They, uh, they in a few verses, they, they, dis- they get a vision from God, and, and they're told not to go back to Herod, and so they, they kind of sneak away, and they go back home another route. But this is their story. And there's four things I just want to briefly pull out from you fr- uh, for you from this story. And the first is this, the, especially as we think about regifting and worship and love in the Christmas season, I want you to see that the wise men sought Jesus. The really first important lesson from the wise men is that they sought Jesus. I remember a few years ago, I was, uh, our, our family, we were visiting my brother and his family. They live in Denver. And uh, one morning, I was getting ready for the day, and I went to go grab my wedding ring because I had left my wedding ring on the nightstand uh, in the room we were staying in. And I looked at the, my nightstand, and there was no wedding ring on there. And I started to look underneath, and, and this was a few years ago, my youngest, Judah. You probably don't remember this, Judah. But you were like five at the time. <laughs> Judah looked up, or, or I looked up, and there was Judah looking in the bedroom. And he had this look on his face like, I know why you don't know where your ring is, Dad. I know why, I know why your ring's missing. And I looked at him, I said, Judah, d- were you playing with my ring? And he said, yes, I was. <laughs> and I said, did you drop it? And, I, and he said, yes, I did. And I said, did you look for it? He's like, no, I just kept on walking after I dropped it. <laughs> I know you would never do that anymore, Judah. So I know he's a very responsible eight-year-old now. But I was like, what? <laughs> you know, he dropped my wedding ring and walked off. And so for the next 20 minutes, we looked everywhere in that bedroom for the wedding ring, only to find it in another room, you know, 20 minutes later, where he didn't even realize where he had dropped it. And I was thinking about that because the wise men were restless until they found Jesus. And I, I, I get pretty restless if I don't know where my wedding ring is, if I can't find it, if I drop it, you know. Um, and that day I, I was really like, I need to find this ring. And the wise men, they were restless until they found Jesus Christ, until they found the Savior, until they found the Messiah. So let's, let's look back, and I want you to see the great links they went to to seek after Jesus. Verses 1 and 2, if we go back to those verses. It says that Magi came from the east. So this group of people, these, these people, we either call them wise men or Magi. Now the word Magi is just an untranslated Greek word. So if you were to read the, the New Testament is written in Greek, if you were just to look at the Greek in the New Testament, it would say Magi. And that's just an uh, untranslated Greek word. The, the Magi referred to a group of people from the East that were, um, we're not exactly sure what they were. They might have been religious astrologers. They might have been royal magicians. Uh, perhaps they were even religious magicians, which we don't really have religious magicians in our world. I mean, that I, I, d- I did know a guy who would like do some magic tricks and then share the gospel with kids, but I don't think that's quite what the Magi were. But, uh, but they were astrologers, they were, they were powerful people, they were influential people in the royal court, they were probably pretty wealthy people. It cost a lot of money to go from where they were to, to Jerusalem. They were influential people. Um, and one thing that I want you to keep in mind for today is they were people who would, they practiced the occult. They practiced things like astrology that were forbidden in the Old Testament, which I think is really interesting. We'll get back to that in a moment. The Bible says that they came from the east. Now, we don't exactly know where this was. Um, it could have been Persia. It could have been Babylon. We do know that at this time, at the birth of Jesus, there's a large contingent of Jewish people in Babylon. And so that might be significant. Maybe they came from Babylon. But the wise men, they tell Herod that they saw 
his star, they saw the star of the Messiah rise from the east. Evidently, there was some sort of astronomical event that happened uh, at that time. We don't know exactly what it was. It might have been a special alignment of the planets, you know, like the Christmas star, the, supposed the, the so-called Christmas star, or a special alignment of some stars. Or it might have just been a completely miraculous uh, sign that God put in the heavens. Either way, when the wise men saw it, they were astounded by it. They knew it was significant. And even though they were astrologers, even though they had grown up in paganism, for some reason they knew to associate this with the birth of the Jewish Messiah. How did they know this? Well, probably wherever they came from, wherever they lived, there were Jewish people who had told them about the birth of the Messiah. At this time, the Jewish people, you might be aware, you might remember, the Jewish people were waiting for the coming of the Messiah. They were waiting for God's king to be born to free them from the Roman Empire. And so the Jewish people around them might have pointed to the wise men. They might have said, hey, you're interested in astrology? You're interested in things of the future? Well, here's something. The Messiah is going to come. Verses like Numbers 24, 17 say that a star shall rise out of Jacob. And then when they see this star in heaven, they notice that this is the sign of the Messiah. Now, in other words, what I really want you to take away is that these guys, these people, went to great lengths to see Jesus. They went to great lengths to get to know Jesus. And that God specifically used them to be some of the first people to shine a spotlight on Jesus. And I think it's so amazing when God uses people who are on the outside for his purpose, right? These people grew up, again, pagans, astrologers. They're not Jewish people. They grew up outside of the family of God, and yet these are the exact kind of people that God wants to put center stage at the Christmas story, right? And I just love that because I, I love being reminded over and over again how God uses the most unlikely people for his purpose, the most unlikely people for his kingdom. You know, maybe you look at your life and you're like, I'm a pretty unlikely person to be sitting here today. <laughs> I'm a pretty unlikely person to be sitting in a church worshiping with this church family, and yet here you are. And I just wanted to remind you, you know, as we, think of th as we think of the future, as we think of people in our lives, as we think of people that God might put into our lives and want us to invite to church, want us to have a spiritual conversation with, you know, sometimes it's easy for us in our own kind of human mindset to think, ah, you know, they don't, they'd never come, this, this person would never come to church. <laughs> they don't want anything to do with God. And I just want to remind you, don't write people off because God uses the most unlikely people. But anyway, as they were uh, arriving in Jerusalem, they say, where is the king of the Jews? Of course, um, the Jewish people did have a king at this time. His name was Herod. But that's not who they were talking about. They were talking about the Messiah, the, the chosen one. And I want you to think about what they did. They crossed a desert to come to Jesus. They spent a considerable sum of money to get there. You think, like, they, they didn't just, like, board a plane and take off in Babylon and land in Jerusalem, right? They didn't board uh, a train. They didn't have a car. They took a long, slow journey across the desert that would have taken what seems like to us forever. They would have had to bring food. They would have had to hire security. This was, this was not an easy, cheap endeavor. They went great lengths to find Jesus. And what about you and me? What about us today? What links do we go after to seek Jesus in our lives? You know, do we just kind of carve out a little time for God on Sunday, and then we do that, we check that box, and we move on? Or 
Or are we restless until we have more of Jesus in our lives? This whole re-gift idea is to remember that God is the one who gives us gifts, right? God gives us so much. God gives us salvation. Last week we talked about how God is generous to us materially. We can be generous to other people. And, and a lot of this re-gift series has been about how I can give gifts to other people. You know, what God has given me, let me pass it on to others. But this one's really about how, what can I give to God? And I can spend my life seeking more of God. That's the first lesson from the wise men. All right, second lesson. The wise men worshipped Jesus. The wise men worshipped Jesus, right? That's clear what they were all about. That's clear what they came to do. They came to worship Jesus. They searched him out. They, 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 and I want you to understand, they weren't just trying to, I don't know, satisfy some intellectual curiosity, right? These were really wise, I mean, these were really wise guys. I, I was really going to say that, not realizing my pun, but these were really wise men, right? The name fits. These were intellectual people. These were um, high religious people. Again, they worked in the royal courts, but they weren't just satisfying an intellectual curiosity when they found Jesus. They came to worship him. Let's look at verse 11 again. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshiped him. Now, if you met Jesus today, you would probably worship him. I hope you would. I know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure everyone in this room, that's what you would do. And that's right, we should do that. But I want you to remember, the Jesus that they meet is not you know, post-crucifixion Jesus, post-resurrection Jesus. It's not the Jesus in the book of Revelation who comes back and he's in dazzling white and he's on a horse and he looks like a warrior. This is little Jesus, <laughs> young Jesus, human Jesus, born into poverty, born in unusual circumstances, kind of scandalous circumstances, as Jesus is, is mentioned later on in the Gospels. Because they didn't realize born of a virgin. You know, the son of a carpenter, not rich, not particularly handsome, the book of Isaiah tells us. That's the Jesus that they came to worship. Now, when did the wise men show up? That's always an interesting question. I know in our nativity, uh, most of us, we put our, those wise men right there next to, uh, next to the stable. But notice what it says there in verse 11. It says, on coming to the house. It doesn't say on coming to the stable. It doesn't say the wise men had to, like, push the sheep out of the way <laughs> and, like, get to baby Jesus. This was sometime after the birth of Christ when the wise men uh, show up. We don't know exactly when, but if you read uh, the rest of Matthew 2, Herod tries to get rid of Jesus. He tries to get rid of the Messiah, but he doesn't know where he is, doesn't know how to find him. So he says that all children, all male Jewish children, two and under, are to be killed. So maybe when the wise men show up, it's been two years since the birth of Jesus. So if you really want your nativity to be correct, if your nativity's in your living room, just, you know, I don't know, take your wise men, put them in the kitchen, and that's, that's how far away they were at the time. They were, they were on their way. When people say, why are your wise men out there? I'm just being biblical, all right? I'm just trying to be biblical. They're, they're way out there. But it's a couple years later, perhaps, and they come and they worship Jesus. But here's the thing. They didn't know everything about Jesus. They probably didn't know that he was fully God and fully man. They couldn't have told you that he was the second member of the Trinity. They didn't have all that information about Jesus. They didn't have so much of an understanding of Jesus and who he is like we do. And yet, they knew enough, they understood enough 
to simply bow down and worship him. And that's a great example, a great model for you and I today. This Christmas, are we worshiping Jesus? I mean, I know we literally just did, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what that was all about, what we just did. A big part of worship is singing. But worship isn't just singing to God. And so for you this Christmas season, you know, in the, this week as we get ready for Christmas, I want you to think about how can I worship God with my life? Certainly that involves singing. It, it also involves um, spend, you know, carving out time throughout Christmas for Jesus. Maybe, you know, to kind of remind you and your family of that, you, you'll join us for one of our Christmas Eve services at Centerpoint. You can do that in person again or online. Maybe it means on Christmas Day, reading the Christmas story before you tear open presents or do whatever else, watch Wonder Woman or whatever else people are going to do on Christmas this year. Um, maybe take some time and, and open up the Bible and read the Christmas story. Maybe it means trying to say, okay, one of the ways I can worship God is with my life, honoring him, making sure that, you know, I, I don't just say I'm a Christian, but living like it. There's lots of ways to worship God, and that's a key part of what Christmas is all about. Another thing about the about what the wise men did that I want to draw your attention to, and this is something that if you're, you're probably all familiar with, but it's worth reminding us, the wise men gave gifts to Jesus. The wise men gave gifts. You know, one of the ways to show someone you care about them is to give them a gift, a gift that's meaningful. I, I gotta be honest with you, I'm not really into gifts. If you're familiar with the five love languages, like gifts are pretty low for me, so... So um, I just, uh, I, I really don't like stuff. I don't like to have more and more things, especially as I'm in the middle of moving. I really wish I had less stuff. So, you know, so please no gifts this year, you know, family. But, but I will say that it's very rewarding sometimes to buy the right gift for someone, right? When you see that thing, you're like, I know that, I know that this person whom I love will love this gift. And it's not about how much it costs, but it's more about, you know, the value behind it, the meaning behind it. And it's interesting to reflect on the gifts that the wise men give Jesus. Let's look again at the, the end of verse 11. It says that they, the wise men, opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I want you to understand these are costly gifts. These are gifts that they carried with them all across the desert. It's not like they just ran to the CVS in Bethlehem and got some cologne for Jesus. And we're like, hey, did you guys bring him a present? No, I, I, saw, I saw a place down the road. <laughs> I'll be right back. No, they carried, they carried these gifts with them. And these gifts have important meaning. Gold in Jesus' day, gold was a symbol of royalty. It was what the gift you would give a king. And, and in fact, each of these gifts symbolizes something about who Jesus is and what he would accomplish with his life. And so gold is fit for a king, and certainly Jesus is the king of the Jews. But he's not just the king of the Jews, he's the king of the whole world. The second gift um, is frankincense. Uh, frankincense is a type of incense you would use in religious ceremonies. So a priest would, priest would burn incense, frankincense, and so Gold talks about Jesus in his kingly role. Frankincense talks about Jesus in his priestly role. He is the one mediator between us and God. He is the one who, who brings our, our needs before God the Father, and he is our priest, he is our Savior. And then there's that third gift of myrrh. And of course, myrrh 
is an unusual gift to give a two-year-old. Myrrh is what you would do to, what you would uh, use to embalm a dead body. And so I'm not sure, I, I really don't know why the wise men gave that gift to, <laughs> to Jesus, but it is very symbolic, right? Symbolizes his eventual death on the cross for our sins, the sins of the world. And so as we step back, I think it's very appropriate to ask ourselves, what kind of gift am I going to give Jesus this Christmas? Here's the good news. You will never outgive God, all right? So don't worry about that. Don't try to, you're not going to give God a better gift than what he's given you because he gives you eternal life through Jesus Christ. When you put your faith in him for the forgiveness of your sins, when you trust in his death and his resurrection, you have eternal life. That is God's great gift to you. And, and then he gives you so many other gifts, but the biggest gift is God gives you as himself a relationship with him. So what kind of gifts, gifts can we give back to God? One thing we always do as a family, um, although it strikes me, we haven't done it this year, so we only got a few more days to do this, uh, but we, we have some good friends, um, and every year we have a birthday party for Jesus. And at the birthday party for Jesus, we bake a cake and uh, decorate it. like a bir- It's a birthday cake. And then um, we all share some, we, we have birthday gifts that we give Jesus. Usually, tangibly, they're, they're things for people in need uh, somewhere, uh, uh, like we use the World Vision ca- Catalog and buy items for people in need all across the world. We'll talk about maybe things we'll do to honor Jesus with our lives. But I, I love that. I love that, not just because it's a, a nostalgic thing we do as a family, but it makes me say, what am I going to give Jesus for Christmas? There's a lot of tangible things we can give God, right? Last week we talked about generosity. When we are generous to the kingdom, when we're generous to the church, when we're generous to people in need, that is a way to give a gift back to God. We're generous with our time, right? This, as you all know, church doesn't just happen by accident. Like people have to come here early and on other days and set things up and practice Christmas carols and and, you know, get here early to set up technical equipment. And there's a lot that goes into the working of a church. And it takes a lot, it takes all of us. Everyone has a role to play. And a way to give Jesus a gift is to give your time to serve his people, to serve in the church. There's a lot of w- different kind of gifts to give. But kind of where I want to end our time today is that the wise men gave themselves to Jesus. And that's the ultimate gift I think we can give to God is to give ourselves you know, today's Advent is about love. And I hope you understand that the Christmas story at the end of the day is all about God's love for us. God came to earth because he loves us. I hope you never get tired of that. Maybe you've been a Christian for 25, 45, 65 years. I don't know. I don't know how long you've been a Christian and a follower of Jesus, but I hope you never get tired of the fact that God loved you so much that he sent his son to this earth who lived a sinless life and died on the cross for our sins, was raised from the dead. The, f- the act of Christmas is an act of love. And so I think the greatest gift that we can give to God is ourselves. What does that mean? It says, it means that we say, God, whatever you want for me, here I am. Here I am, God. I want more of you in my life. I want to go deeper with you in my life. I want to have more of an experience of who you are. I want to have more joy of knowing you. I want to trust in you more deeply. I'm going to step out in faith wherever you call me. It, it's, it's a life of worship, a life that says, God, I love you. Not because I'm trying to earn my way to heaven, but 
because I'm going to say, God, thank you. Thank you for what you've done in my life. And so if you don't know what to give Jesus this year, just give him your heart. <laughs> give him yourself. You say, God, I, I love you so much. I just want to worship you. I just want my whole life to be an act of worship. When I interact with people, whether that's uh, this week, you, maybe you'll be around a few friends and family. Maybe it'll be on Zoom this year. Maybe it'll be in a, a parking lot <laughs> separated from, ev- to, from family members. I, I know we're doing all kinds of different things this year. But as you do that, you can share the love of God with those around you. The wise men were not perfect people. Remember, they were outsiders, not Jews, astrologers. Their, their career was actually sinful according to the Old Testament, and yet God loved them so much that uh, he let them be part of something so profound. And you and I, I, I think if we admitted it, we'd know we're not perfect people. We know we're messed up, and yet God still uses us. And so uh, my prayer is that this Christmas will be an act of worship from our hearts. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the Christmas story, the timeless Christmas story. And thank you that though it happened so long ago, it still speaks so powerfully to us. And God, I just pray that as we leave today, we would be empowered and encouraged. Uh, Would we be built up through your word and through the community of your people and through worshiping you in song? And would we be so built up uh, through your spirit that we would go out and back into our homes around our friends, to our family, to our neighborhood, and would we pass on the gift of God's love, which we have received in Christ. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.